Production support comes from Closets 2, providing organized and expanded closet and storage space for home, office, and garage using a variety of systems with no major renovations. Closets 2, owned and operated in Bloomington, 332-2233. Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, phone, and security services. Smithville. Local Pride, Global Technology. Information at smithville.net. Mother Bear's Pizza of Bloomington, open daily and offering gourmet pizzas, hot submarine sandwiches, and salads with daily specials. Menu available online at motherbearspizza.com. 332-4495 for delivery. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times. And today's pre-recorded show is going to look back 10 years to the shooting death of Indiana University graduate student Juan Jun Yoon. He was killed by a white supremacist who, spent, who had spent some time in Bloomington as an IU student. Uh, Juan Jun Yoon's death was part of a very tragic Fourth of July weekend, not just here but throughout the Midwest. We're going to start our program today with a news report that was aired on All Things Considered 10 years ago this weekend. This is NPR's All Things Considered. I'm No Adams. After a weekend shooting spree that left two people dead and several others injured, Benjamin Nathaniel Smith killed himself last night while being chased by police in Marion County, Illinois. According to authorities, 21-year-old Smith began his drive-by killings in Chicago on Friday. He targeted minorities, killing one black man and wounding six Orthodox Jews. On Saturday, he fired at Asians and blacks in two other Illinois cities. Sunday, he killed a Korean man outside a church in Bloomington, Indiana. The Indiana University student was well-known in Bloomington for passing out racist and anti-Semitic literature. Tom Sheck of member station WFIU reports. Indiana University officials say in many ways Benjamin Smith was an average 21-year-old student. He attended classes, dressed the same as other students, and was usually cordial. But Dick McCaig, the school's dean of students, says one thing made Smith very different. His strongly held deeply racist and anti-Semitic beliefs. On July 4th last year, local law enforcement and university officials began noticing Smith as he traversed the town, putting racist flyers on car windshields. Soon after, McCaig called Smith to his office to talk about the incident nothing that stood out other than obviously his very extreme views on issues of race. Literally, it was a kind, a kind of uh, conversation that uh, was uh, very polite. He asked what my concerns were, wanted to make sure I wasn't uh, telling him he couldn't express his views. When asked to stop distributing the flyers, Smith was adamant in stressing his First Amendment rights. Bloomington Police Chief Jim Kennedy says the incident was unique for this small city. In a college community, we have people handing out literature literally daily, if not weekly. Uh, we do not have people handing out literature of this type, uh, the extreme right wing. It's a, a, almost a case of first impression in this community with that type of literature. It's, it's very, very unusual. And we have, again, no information that shows that there's anyone else other than uh, the Smith subject. Kennedy says he never suspected that Smith's actions would turn violent. But Rabbi Sue Schifrin, who's with Indiana University's Hillel House, says Smith was seething with hatred. He was very quiet for a little while, and then in April on um, Holocaust Remembrance Day, he um, blanketed the community again with the hate literature, and he also delivered a bust of Hitler here to our door um, with a note in it that said, Happy Holocaust Remembrance Day to the man who made it all possible. Bloomington officials say they saw Smith as a lost cause, and they tried to counter his message by holding rallies against hate and writing op-ed columns in local newspapers. In May, they thought Benjamin Smith was no longer their problem when he left Bloomington and moved back to Chicago, where he attended a prominent high school while growing up in an affluent Chicago suburb. During the last two months, Smith would occasionally meet with Matt Hale, who founded the group World Church of the Creator, which espouses racist and anti-Semitic views. Last March, Smith testified on Hale's behalf at a hearing before an Illinois appeals panel on whether Hale should be granted a license to practice law. At the hearing, Smith said that he and Matt Hale discussed violent activities, 
but Hale says he steered him away from violent action. I told him directly at that time, I said, brother, it's not the way to go. Uh, we can achieve things peaceably, legally, uh, and more permanently uh, by distributing our literature, by uh, acting within the law. And those words impressed him, and I thought they always did impress him. And I only found out, you know, yesterday afternoon that they hadn't impressed him. Matt Hale believes that last week's decision to deny his license may have set Smith on his violent spree as he returned to communities he knew well. As officials in Bloomington continue to search for answers as to what sparked Benjamin Smith to carry out his bloody holiday weekend shooting spree, they say it will likely take years for residents to forget about the murders and the recent views that Benjamin Smith acted on. For NPR News, I'm Tom Sheck in Bloomington, Indiana. Well, you're listening to Noon Edition, and we're looking back 10 years at the uh, the shooting of Juan Jun Yoon, a graduate student at Indiana University. Uh, we have three guests in the studio, and uh, I apologize to my guests for making you relive this, but I think mm-hmm. it's very important to mm-hmm. look back at this chapter and in our uh, our history. Safe and Civil City Director Beverly Callender Anderson is here today. Um, Monroe County Sheriff Jim Kennedy, who you just heard on, on that news report, uh, who was the Bloomington Police Chief at the time, uh, and Indiana University GLBT Center Coordinator Doug Botter is here. Um, both Doug and Beverly were on the Bloomington United uh, board at the time that, that uh, this all happened. And let's, let's go back and start with that, with Bloomington United, because this group was formed, I, if my memory serves, pretty much because of Benjamin Smith, but because of the leafleting that had started one year prior to the mm-hmm. shooting spree. Is that correct, Beverly? Yeah, it is. Um, we had experienced um, just this blanketing of, of the community with anti-Semitic literature and um, hate-filled um, uh, leaflets. And so there were several of us, uh, community leaders, religious leaders, that got together to, you know, if we couldn't stop it, how could we counteract it, I think was the question that was before us. And and um, we did many things. Um, one was the Bloomington United and Diversity yard signs that um, we distributed as well as I think a couple of rallies. And mm-hmm. um, But it was, it was just at first a small group that came together that just said, you know, we just – this is not a value that our community holds and, and we need to do something about it. Mm-hmm. Doug, what's your remembrance of that time? I'm remembering at the mayor's office, uh, Jeff Wilsey, mm-hmm. Jeffrey Wilsey called us together and um, at either the first or the second meeting, there was a representative from, I'm thinking it's B'nai B'rith in Chicago and they were encouraging us um, to not sort of deal directly with Smith but to, to again come up with proactive, creative mm-hmm. ways to respond to this. And um, so there were editorials, there were articles in the paper, there was a rally. Out of that rally came the development of the study circles, which then yes. on the campus became yeah. conversations on race. Mm-hmm. So we, for, for that year between when they were distributed and the shooting, um, we were trying to do a variety of things in the community to raise a level of awareness mm-hmm. in positive ways. Mm-hmm. And, and Jim, as the uh, chief of police, when you when something like this occurs, when there are leaflets starting to go around, what's your what's your reaction? What's your response? Is there anything you can do? Well, the hard part is re- is maintaining the law enforcement neutrality, where we have a person who's handing out objectionable by most community standards material, and people who want us to stop it. Where legally, uh, I didn't think, and I still don't think at this time, we we could do it. Mm-hmm. The best we could do at that time was getting for littering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the First Amendment does protect the uh, right of people to pass out literature of all types. So it would put a law enforcement person into a difficult position, I guess. So. Yes, it was. Mm-hmm. So the Bloomington United meeting started shortly after July 4th. It would have been 1998. And you continued to to meet and have forums and, and whatnot. Um, how big did the group grow into? Do you recall? Hmm. Well, I think it was only ever a group of maybe – 20 folks yeah. who, who met on a regular basis. But we had a mailing list of probably a couple hundred of folks who wanted to get involved, who felt they wanted to do something. Um, uh, and a number of citizens, uh, hundreds, uh, took signs and posted them. in. So it, it was never a clearly defined organization. Yeah. We're still pretty much a ragtag group of people <laughs> who, who try and respond to incidents of hate in the community. That's kind of our, our purpose. And we've done some educational forums over the years. But it was 
probably a working group of maybe 20 people. Uh, 20, 25, I think, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we need to fast forward in one year from when the leaflets started and uh, on July 4th, 1999 is – actually, let's go back to July 2nd, 1999 because this the shooting spree started in, in Chicago actually. He shot into a group of – of uh, Jewish worshipers who were going to services on a Friday night, if I remember right, in Skokie, mm-hmm. Illinois. And then on Saturday, uh, Benjamin Smith shot uh, Ricky Birdsong, the former um, African-American basketball coach at Northwestern, just who by happenstance was on a street corner. That was Saturday. On Sunday morning, the Herald Times headlines were how uh, in that shooting in Chicago, Benjamin Smith's car or something involving his car had been seen there. So Bloomington was sort of on alert on Saturday, Jim. Is that right? We had some information that he might be involved. Uh, At that time, uh, it was pretty sketchy. Uh, Actually, the first time we had definitive information came from a citizen who witnessed the uh, tragedy on East 3rd Street. Mm -hmm. And uh, from information gathered there, we identified him positively. Mm-hmm. And we were the first community to get the warrant. Uh, in fact, that's what the uh, subsequent manhunt, if you will, uh, developed from. Mm-hmm. And when you heard, I mean, when you first heard that he might be involved, I mean, did you do anything different? Were you on any kind of an alert? Were people- no, there were, the information there was awfully sketchy, and we had no reason to believe at that time all the activity had taken place in the state of Illinois. Mm-hmm. And for him to return to Bloomington uh, was a, a slight possibility. But uh, then again, you know, we can't put roadblocks on State Road 37 right. or wherever else. And uh, so that was about all you can do is somewhat be aware. And, uh, of course, on Sunday morning it all, you know, came to a horrible conclusion. Mm-hmm. On that Sunday, that was the 4th of July. And, of course, the community's 4th of July parade was scheduled for that afternoon. Mm-hmm. I I know, uh, you know, Mayor John Fernandez uh, it w- was in office, and he's a minority himself. Um, and Benjamin Smith had not been captured. Or do you recall any discussions about what to do about the parade, whether it would go most, on a schedule? Most definitely. Uh, once we had the the individual identified, and uh, we had done what we could to alert local authorities and actually national authorities as well. Uh, we stationed officers, Doug and I were talking earlier about the parade and we had uh, a significant law enforcement presence in the parade and along the parade route and then subsequent to that time we had the uh, picnic at the Pops mm-hmm. and we had uh, a law enforcement presence there as well, hopefully to deter him because with crowds of thousands, you're, you, that's the best you can do. Mm-hmm. Bloomington United marched in the parade. And the mayor came to us as we were gathering um, and informed us of the shooting Mm -hmm. and uh, didn't encourage us not to march but wanted us to be aware of what was happening. I think a few folks who had children with them decided they weren't Mm going to march. The rest of us did and I remember being surrounded by police with their bulletproof vest and there were police on the roofs of the – buildings along a walnut as we march and it was just a surreal experience. I also remember that mm-hmm. um, the mayor was entertaining a delegation from uh, – I don't remember if it was China but uh, some Asian country and the whole thing was just very mm-hmm. scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and as fate would have it, I was in Chicago that weekend. I, I um, was not in town and we had heard about the shootings um, in, in the northern – north of Chicago, uh, the killing of Ricky Birdsong. And we and drove back, and the one thing we noticed when we hit town that I think alerted my family that something was going on was the police presence because we came past the stadium we were coming in and and it was just that that heavy police presence that we said some, something 's not right because you don 't see you know that many police out in Bloomington at one time, and stopped at a gas station and asked somebody what was going on, and they told us mm-hmm. about the shooting. I think this had a, an impact on a lot of people. I know this had a huge impact on a lot of people during that morning if words started to get around. I wanted to read something. Um, Melanie uh, Castillo Culther w- was and is the uh, director of the uh, Asian Culture Center here on campus, and that center, in doing uh, research for the 
two-part series that we just concluded in the Herald Times this morning. Uh, Melanie's been out of town in the Philippines, but she sent us some email answers. And that center was only about six months old at the time mm-hmm. that this happened. But one of the things that, that I found interesting, and, and this was in our paper this, this morning, but um, we asked her by email you know, what, what her thoughts were um, being Asian and being involved with the Asian Culture Center um, from her professional standpoint as the director and her personal standpoint. And I thought this was really interesting how it could affect a person personally. She said, you know, we live a block away from the Korean United Methodist Church. And at the time, my parents were here visiting from the Philippines and they were walking home from St. Charles uh, the Catholic Church to their home, which was very close to that area. She said, "I was very afraid for their safety as well as for everybody mm-hmm. else's safety." So it was a it was a pretty scary scary time. So, Jim, as the as the day progressed, what what were you learning about uh, whether he was a threat? Well, you know, the information. If there was a positive thing that came out of all this, it was one the tremendous citizen involvement we had, not only from groups but from the one individual who saw the activity and followed uh, Smith all the way to Brown County, uh, came back to us, and I was standing out in the road directing traffic because we were still assembling detectives. It was a Fourth of July holiday, and people were just scattered all over. And we were calling everyone in. We had the university police were there, the city police. We had contacted the state to uh, do some work. And uh, the FBI, uh, the local resident agent, showed up and... uh, he was starting to do some initial interviews, what we call a neighborhood. And this gentleman drove up and some people had driven up and said to me, why can't I drive down 3rd Street? We had blocked. I had blocked it. And uh, this this gentleman though, didn't come up to complain. He came up and said, was there a shooting? And which was a very unusual question from somebody who just drove up coming from the Brown County area allegedly. And uh, he had followed him because he saw – the car pull away very rapidly, saw uh, the victim fall, and he gave us a license number, mm-hmm. which we immediately entered on the National Crime Information uh, Network, mm-hmm. came and we uh, identified him through the Bureau of Motor Vehicle Records here as Benjamin Smith, which then with the information we had before, we had a good description of the car and of him, direction of travel. Uh, the state police put up uh, a surveillance point on the I-65 bridge going into Kentucky, but he had, we surmised at this point, turned on probably Interstate 64 to go into Illinois. Uh, The FBI sent agents down from the Indianapolis field office. We had uh, IUPD again, the city. Everybody was very cooperative, so that was positive in terms of law enforcement. The Chicago police called later that day saying uh, they're going to fly their evidence collection team down here. Uh, We at that time had a a uh, young lady who was an excellent evidence tech who subsequently became an FBI agent mm-hmm. who had done a, a tremendous job. They came down and said, you've done well. We're, we're, you know, everything could be done. You've done. But they sent us you know, all the way from Chicago, flew down. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we sent, in fact, the evidence we had, we sent to the Chicago Crime Lab. Mm-hmm. And uh, as the day progressed in my office, we had close contact with Illinois authorities, federal authorities, local and, uh, of course, it came to a conclusion that night from the Marion County uh, Salem, Illinois authorities about the carjacking mm-hmm. and uh, su- the suicide of uh, Smith. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as I recall, I, I was in the newsroom because we were actually doing an extra because we didn't have a newspaper oh, scheduled for the 5th yes. of July. Yeah. Um, and since he was still on the loose, we were putting together an extra because we wanted to alert people to what was going on. And it was, it was it, like you said, I think earlier, 10 or 10.30 at night, mm-hmm. and we got the word that he had been, I think, cornered in a, in a field. Right. And he had hijacked or carjacked a van, uh, and the authorities had him there, and he then uh, shot himself in the head. Mm-hmm. One other thing, too, I remember during that day, we attempted to contact churches throughout the community and we started out with people that we the the asian cultural center and places like that attempting to contact them to warn them as much as we could but as you can probably surmise that's a heck of a job with a you know two or three staff members trying to call dozens and dozens of places and hoping we could remember which to call and so forth Mm -hmm. right 
Well, you're listening to a pre-recorded uh, version of Noon Edition today uh, on this holiday weekend, and we're re- recapping uh, a very tragic set of uh, circumstances in our community that happened 10 years ago when Indiana University graduate student Juan Jun Yoon was killed as he entered the, the Korean Methodist Church on East 3rd Street. He was killed by a white supremacist named Benjamin Smith, who later killed himself. Before we sort of leave that day and then try to look forward a little bit, um, Jim, how I know you've been involved in all sorts of law enforcement activities. Um, how does this one rank in your memory in terms of the, you know, the, I don't know, the, just the emotion of it? Well, it, it's certainly unique in the sense that it, the the apparent hatred that this man felt toward people was so apparent. Uh, the Again, though, I, I look at the positive side that from the law enforcement side, which was just tremendous. It's one of the few times in my career I've seen people from all these agencies come together and work as one, uh, plus the citizen involvement. Uh, it was it was positive in that respect. The negative part of it, of course, was the the tragedy that surrounded the event, starting from Skokie, going to the University of Illinois, coming here. Uh, it, it's, it's fresh in my mind in many respects. Uh, it's I remember that day was just extremely hot and humid, like July Fourth mm-hmm. can be here. Uh, bright sunshine. I, in fact, I was on my way to visit my mother, who lived a few blocks from me, when I got the call. And it was the first time I think I'd ever used my red lights and siren in a car uh, as chief of police. You know, normally, I do administrative work. And when you get to the scene, and the university police is already there with a few of our the city units, and that started it. And uh, you don't realize the magnitude of it initially because we really didn't have any information there that tied us into all this horrific uh, activity that preceded it on Friday and Saturday. But then as it came together, the magnitude of the problem became quite apparent. Mm-hmm. And Doug and Beverly, if you could sort of think back to that time, and you've both been involved with – well, Doug, you've been involved with student groups and and uh, various um, social services, mm-hmm. civil rights issues and whatnot. Um, can you sort of talk about how this issue compares to other things you've been through? Um, it's sort of a defining moment in my life personally. Um, I also was a neighbor of the Castillo Cullithers and um, uh, remember feeling that my neighborhood was invaded as well as my community. And um, so very personal uh, connections and and reflections on on that day. And then I think the way a number of us from very different backgrounds came together and, as Jim is saying, um, found – Strength and some solace, I think, just in the friendships that we developed out of that, um, it was it was profound, and it continues to affect, I think, some of the positive things that happen in this community. Mm-hmm. I also remember how much that affected summer orientation, mm-hmm. um, and and how parents would come and ask if indeed this was a safe community. This happened right in the middle of uh, summer orientation here at IU, so. Mm-hmm. You know, there were just all sorts of ramifications. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'd only been in town two years at that time. Um, was very new to the community. Um, and and I think, like Doug, I do think it was a defining moment. I think it was a defining moment for the community. I think it was a defining moment for me. Um, um, I really hadn't planned to be in Bloomington this long. I, and I know people say that a lot. <laughs> um, but... Um, when when the opportunity came for me to leave, I think one of the things that kept me here was knowing that, like Jim has said and like Doug has said, that this diverse group of people could come together to face issues and and to try to resolve issues and to work cooperatively. And when you're looking for a place where you want to spend your your life and your time, um, those are the kinds of things that I look for. Was that was that larger community and also the friends that that I'd made through this process, but. You know, for the city itself, um, I mean, it was not only a loss of two lives. I mean, because Benjamin Smith's life was lost as well as Juan Junior's, but it was it was the loss of some innocence. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was the loss of of us thinking that we were untouchable. Um, and so, to have been in the community for the past ten years and watch the journey that we've taken to get back to, you know wholeness or fullness, I think, has been um, really interesting for me and, and 
and a good place to be. I mean, this has been mm-hmm. a good place to be and to be a part of that process. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to talk about uh, what's happened since then uh, after we come back from a short break. We're, you're listening to a pre-recorded program for the, the uh, Fourth of July holiday weekend. It's a noon edition and we'll be right back after a short break. Listening to Noon Edition on member supported WFIU. Production support comes from Closets 2, Smithville Telephone Information at Smithville.net, and from Mother Bears Pizza at MotherBearsPizza.com. You can take WFIU programs with you by downloading our podcasts. Podcasting is a convenient and easy way to download audio files directly to your computer, iPod, or portable player. You can download podcasts of full-length programs like Noon Edition, Ask the Mayor, and Harmonia, or short features like Kinsey Confidential, the Ether Game Musical Mini Quiz, as well as movie, play, and opera reviews. Find out more by going to our website, WFIU.org. And have you heard WFIU's news features? On Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, the WFIU news team brings you expanded and in-depth reports on topics affecting south-central Indiana. Listen at 8.33 a.m. and 5.45 p.m. every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to catch that day's feature. If you miss one, that's okay. They're archived on our website, WFIU.org, and the best features from each week can be heard Saturday mornings at 7.45. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times. Today's uh, program is pre-recorded as we look back 10 years to the shooting death of Indiana University graduate student Juan June Yoon. I have three guests in the studio, Safe and Civil City Director Beverly Callender-Anderson, uh, Indiana University GLBT Center Coordinator Doug Botter, and Monroe County Sheriff Jim Kennedy, who was chief of police uh, at the time. Um, both uh, Doug and Beverly were members, are members of Bloomington United, and it, it's a group that started – uh, after some leafleting, some race, racial racist leafleting was done uh, a year before the shooting. It was uh, July 4th of 1998. Bloomington United started and a lot of people were concerned about what to do about it. Um, we were doing a program. Mary Catherine and I were actually in the studio here with John Fernandez doing a program of Ask the Mayor and we got a call from a person named Ben and we're going to play that for you now. Hmm. Hi, how are you? Great, thank you. Um, I had a question for Mayor Fernandez about what he was going to do about, uh, there's a lot of hate crime going on in Bloomington. Mm-hmm. wondering what his program to counter that was. Thank you, Ben. Uh, what we're working on primarily through the city is, is with the Safe and Civil City Project and working with uh, an organization that uh, has been, uh, I guess, created called Bloomington United. Uh, part of our effort is to continue to... Um, is educate uh, the community about the nature of these uh, crimes that happen, that it raise awareness, and build a, uh, a counter campaign, if you will, of, of education and encouraging people to, um, you know, celebrate diversity, respect differences, and work together for a common uh, good. Uh, there'll be a number of uh, uh, forums and, and teaching opportunities throughout 1999 as we um, move this uh, process forward, and we've been really, um, I guess, uh, gratified by the the breadth of organizations and, and people who have uh, come together uh, to work on, on these goals. Uh, groups from you know very uh, different parts of uh, ideological spectrums or religious organizations, etc. And and uh, it's been gratifying. So it's going to be an ongoing effort. We certainly want to uh, monitor. Uh, what's happening with uh, the one particular hate organization. Which organization is that? Well, you know, I don't even want to say their name over there just because I don't want to give them any more credence than they deserve. But, um, I mean, that's part of the whole battle here, if you will. It's like, you know, these groups do things to try and uh, incite reactions, which just give them more publicity and and such. And And it's a real fine line. On the one hand, you want to draw them out and, and let folks see how ridiculous some of these ideas are so that the, I guess, the uh, sunlight can disinfect us, if you will. But uh, um, at the same time, you just sort of hate to promote them. And uh, it's a difficult challenge. The group that's been involved is, I mean, they're, they're a, 
You know, they, they don't call themselves this, but it's basically a white supremacist organization. Uh, I met with um, a special agent of the FBI who's assigned to this project, and uh, our police chief and Jeffrey Wilsey, the head of our Safe and Civil City project, about a week ago, just to get a report from the FBI in terms of uh, their assessment of, of uh, risk and uh, of the organization that's involved. And, and it was a good good opportunity to just share information. And, and those kinds of inf informational meetings between these different agencies are, are well, part of an ongoing effort. It seems to me, and I mean, you might disagree, and in America we can hold different opinions, but it seems to me that calling in the FBI because uh, an organization, whether it's white supremacist or whatever, is exercising their First Amendment rights, that doesn't seem logical to me. We, let me make one thing clear. We didn't call in the FBI. Uh, to do anything uh, other than to give us any information they may have on this organization. The genesis of this group and some of their activities in other parts of the, of the uh, country have made that transgression from mere thoughts and ideas to violent conduct and uh, criminal activity well, uh, against persons. And at that point, I, I think we would not be doing our job to at least ask for uh, information about uh, how uh, this group's operating in other communities just to protect our own interests and to, to you know, make sure that we know what's happening uh, through this organization. So if needed, we could take necessary steps locally. And right. unfortunately, I don't think we're in that kind of situation with this group in this community. Well, I, I actually am a member of the World Church of the Creator, which is the group you're talking about. Um, and I wouldn't say that, that we are a violent or a criminal organization. Um, I don't think that any one of our members has ever been convicted of a violent crime. There, there was a group called the Church of the Creator, and uh, there was a man that was arrested, but uh, he wasn't a member of our organization. And to blame us uh, for what he might have done is, is like to blame one Baptist church for what you know a, a, a Catholic church does. I mean, we're creativity is our religion. Um, I think we have religious rights and freedoms. We cut him off pretty shortly after that, but. Uh, uh, it, it's it's sort of chilling to go back and listen to you know the the sort of um, calm, cool, collected rhetoric of this guy. And and I think John Fernandez, the mayor, had an interesting point when he talked about how the there had been this transgression from from thoughts and mm -hmm. ideas to violent activity. And of course, Ben is talking on the radio about how well we're not violent, and you've got a different group, and we don't do any of those kind of things. And then. You know, less than a year later, he uh, certainly had crossed the line into some very violent behavior. Um, so we, you know, we've we've gotten through the uh, the uh, the Fourth of July, nineteen ninety nine. Now, and Bloomington United, I believe, if I again, if I recall, was very involved in putting together some memorials and some events afterward to try to bring the community together. Is that right? I know that there were some candlelight services mm -hmm. and some community gatherings. Can you recall those? Well, we worked with um, some representatives at IU. We worked with the Korean United Methodist Church. We worked with the Yoon family, um, the federal government. I think IU had the connection there to put together a, a service of remembrance, I think we called it. Community a, response to hate, but it also yes. was a memorial service because the Yoon family was here. Was so here, it, yeah. it was kind of a combined... Yeah, and, and that happened at the Musical Arts Center. Um, and that was, gosh, I, I just remember it as being very, very packed. Doug said he's watched the tape. But um, at the MAC, it just seems like it was standing room only. There were so many people and, and such a diverse group of people that came out. And um, at the time, Attorney General Janet Reno came in, was was the main speaker, uh, but but different people from different religious groups in the community, different community groups, city government, uh, county government. Um, it's almost like we were saying earlier how everybody came together. I think, um, and and I've said this in another place that egos were left at the door. You know, and just to see you know what we could do to help this community begin the healing process, and that was just sort of the goal of everything. I have a vision of the a candlelight. Walk was that from the Mac to the church? From the Mac exactly to the church, right? Yes. And there were 
thousands, it seems like thousands oh. of people were. The MAC was filled. There were hundreds of people on the lawn outside of the MAC. The lobby was filled because I remember TV cameras being along uh, the street there. Yeah, there were uh, thousands of people. It was quite, quite memorable. Mm-hmm. And what struck me, I, I did just watch the rebroadcast of that, the WFIU uh, two-hour program. Uh, what struck me about that, including uh, Attorney General Reno's comments, was um, how much we were all being challenged to sort of examine our own hearts. Um, and, and that's what struck me as I thought about it. it you know, um, we were mourning the death of this student who was considered one of the brightest and best. How could this happen in our community? But there was a real challenge to say we are all prejudiced people. We all have the potential to do hateful things, maybe not violent things. but And so it, it was a real opportunity to be reflective and um, – to to um, you were saying leaving your egos at the door. I was I was thinking, you know, I, I, one of the things that impressed me about the work of Bloomington United it brought together some very diverse aspects of the community: the gay community, the Jewish community, the African American mm-hmm. community. People who wouldn't necessarily have sat at a table and talked together, and out of that, again, have come some wonderful friendships. And I think that's benefited the entire community. And and that night we were all caused to sort of look at where are our prejudices and and every group gets um you know uh, discriminated against and no one crime is is or hate incident is is worse than another we need to think about how what we do um impacts other other individuals in this community and that that's what i left that evening thinking about. But I do remember, like like Bob, I remember the candlelight vigil. And I remember, because I was sort of close to the front because I'd been on stage with the people that spoke, but I remember turning around and looking behind mm-hmm. me and just seeing, <clears throat> excuse me, the light uh, from the candles. I mean, it was, that was such a moving thing to see that that many people were all walking in one singular purpose. And it was a, a still night, so there was not a breeze, right. and, and the candles just stayed lit That's the right. whole time. It was just very, very unusual. Yeah, it really yeah. was. Yeah, really yeah it was, it, I remember that. It was quite an evening. Uh, you're listening again. You're listening to a pre-recorded edition of Noon Edition, so you can't call us today and ask us questions or comment on what we're talking about. Uh, but I am speaking with Doug Botter, uh, Beverly Calendar Anderson, and Monroe County Sheriff Jim Kennedy all were here, all were very involved at the time that Juan Jun Yoon, a Korean graduate student, was uh, shot and killed 10 years ago this weekend uh, in Bloomington. You know, Juan Jun Yoon was, uh, hadn't been here very long. He'd only been in Bloomington, I think, five weeks or something oh, like that. He had come from Carbondale, Illinois, had just com- completed his master's degree at Carbondale and had come here to get his Ph.D., and that's what he was doing in Bloomington. So, um, you know, it, it was a very short time that he was here, but he will certainly always be remembered. Well, I wanted to talk uh, a little bit in the time we have left, and we have about 15 minutes left, about, you know, whether, you know, what's happened in our community in the in the following 10 years. Are we a different community now than we were then? You know, I'm, I'm tempted to, to say it's, I, I mean, this is a difficult question for you to answer, I'm sure, because... Then I'm sure we thought we were a tolerant community, but one you know crazed gunman could make us all, as Doug said, sort of reexamine ourselves and our hearts. Are we different ten years later? Are we a substantially different community? Beverly, you're the safe and civil city director. Um, I think we are a different community. I think, and 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 not different in our values, but different in the expression of them. Um, I think. Ten years ago, and like I said, I was very new to town. Um, the circles that I traveled in, we we held sort of some com- you know some common values. But I think what that incident did was allowed people to stand up and to speak out, and and to say, you know, we may not agree ideologically, we may not agree theologically, we may not agree philosophically, but but there are some common things that we share, and they are important enough for us to stand up for, and so. I think that incident allowed that to happen. Uh, Doug talked earlier about study circles um, and and conversations on race on campus. And so there have been some very, very frank conversations that have happened in this community that have allowed people to express themselves. Now, do I think that there is room for us to do more? Yes. Um, And I think any time, you know, 
you have differences. There's always room for education. There's always room for more tolerance. Um, but there is a group of people that were here 10 years ago that continue to be here that, that I think continue to do that self-examination. Um, we, we do that, those of us who live through that period, and I don't think it's just the people that were involved in Bloomington United. I also think it's, it's people that were involved in that candlelight walk and, and people that they impact continue to, to examine themselves and to, to see where, where they want to be, what kind of community we want to be, but also what kind of people we want to be. I, I think um, this program helps us to do that again and to remember. Um, every year I stop by the Korean church on the 4th of July and, and leave some flowers as a little um, marker there in Wan Jun's memory and, and, and take time to think, you know, what have I been doing or not doing in this community to help out? And I, you know, in a sense, I think um, moments like this as we reflect on, on uh, such a profound experience uh, give us all the opportunity to, to ask those questions. Mm-hmm. Jim, from a law enforcement perspective, what kinds of trends are you seeing in terms of hate crime? Are we, a, are we different now than we were when you, when you were police chief versus when you're sheriff? Well, I get a perspective. I was at one time associated very strongly with the university. I was an employee here, obviously, and uh, then moving to the city and then federal government now at the county. And the perspectives you get on Bloomington, if you want to call it that, or Monroe County are that uh, we're viewed – by the rest of the state is the most liberal area in a state, but I, perhaps the word should be the most tolerant. Mm-hmm. Uh, we accept, I think, maybe is a better word, divergent lifestyles, alternative viewpoints, perhaps a little bit better than some other areas of the state. Not that we're elitist or anything like that, but it's just the expression of uh, a person's values maybe are a little bit more accepted by a broader group in the community than used to be. Mm-hmm. Well, don't you? I mean, part of that has to be the fact that in Bloomington, we do all live together. I mean, there are all sorts of perspectives and all sorts of points of view and all sorts of um, religious beliefs. And in a lot of parts of the state, frankly, you, you don't ha- you have more of a sameness, more of a uh, um, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but it's just people are more alike than they are. Here, so that can cause that can create issues. I would think if people don't tolerate one another or don't don't have tolerance for one another and accept one another's beliefs, but it also can be um, an educational kind of kind of uh, I guess a, an equalizer. And I think what you're saying is it's more of an equalizer. We also have a new community every fall. Yes, and. And, and our responsibility as citizens to those students, whether they're our neighbors or whether we work at the university or not, I think is, is really key. And I'm, I'm not naive enough to think that um, we could have saved Ben Smith from himself. But one of the things we examined in Bloomington United and a lot of us th- think was if someone had befriended him other than Matt Hale, might his life have been different? And, and I know there were people in this community who tried to reach out to him. And I'm, I'm so impressed with a former colleague on the Human Rights Commission who was an African-American woman who called him and in a gentle way tried to correct his behavior and, and to challenge him. So there were people who did that. You know, there are, there are students who are loners. There are people in our community who are loners who I think, um, again, this event reminds me to uh, – for all of us to be sensitive to those folks who could sort of go either way. And um, that's part of our responsibility I think as a community and, again, one of the things this, this reminds me uh, to, to do, um, particularly in working with students, mm-hmm. uh, some very troubled and lonely people out there. We can't save everyone but um, – you know, there's certainly probably more some of us could do. Right. And what's the status of Bloomington United at this point? Um, we still meet. Um, we, we, we meet periodically. I think the, the biggest thing we do is response right now. You know, if, if there is – well, and I, I'm not going to say that. It's response. It's advising. I mean, I think many of us run into different situations. And, and when you look for, you know, who do you call to talk about this – there is that group. Um, I think if there was something that were to happen in the community, you have a group that's a point of contact for getting information out and for uh, providing activities to to respond. So um, it's still a pretty cohesive group. Um, mm-hmm. Just, but we don't meet as often. Um, we meet probably quarterly, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, we serve sort of as consultants to other folks and. 
Um, and, it, and similar to the response teams on the campus, which responds to incidents of hate on the IU campus, I, I think of us in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the last time we did something was to provide some support for the Jewish community when um, a sign or letters on the yes. uh, Chabad house were removed and there was some thought that it might have been an anti-Semitic act and we provided an opportunity for people to gather and to uh, show their solidarity. And so that's kind yeah. of... But one of the things I, I really appreciate, not only about Bloomington United, but about Bloomington, the, the city, um, is that if there is an incident that, like the one we experienced with Habad House or where whatever it is, there is a vehicle for response, whether it's the Commission on Multicultural Understanding on campus, the hate incidents team... Uh, Safe and Civil City Office, the Human Rights Commission. There are all of these vehicles um, that that one can access for response, and that's I think those are really good things to have. Well, since uh, 1999, we I mean we had another incredibly uh, major incident. 2001, we had uh, 9/11 and mm-hmm. what happened then, and I think there was certainly a lot of media coverage and a lot of discussion about um, Muslims being targeted for hate speech, hate acts. Um, has that been – have we had that experience in Bloomington or Monroe County? Um, we, oh, oh, I'm sorry. Beverly, go ahead. Well, we were talking a little yeah. bit beforehand about the incidents, the uh, hate incidents report or the bias incidents report that the Human Rights Commission compiles. And in the last two years, the number of incidents has remained exactly the same. So there's not been an increase. But the um, types of incidents, I think, since 9-11, we've seen more incidents against Muslims, against, you know, that community um, and Hispanics uh, because of the increasing number of Hispanics mm-hmm. in the community. So, so there has been a change. Although the numbers aren't increased, there's a change in the nature mm-hmm. of the incidents. Jim? Well, in the county, of course, it's uh, it's a different. We don't have the population density. Uh, we don't have uh, perhaps the diversity that the city or the university has, uh, and we don't have a comparable group. Uh, I rely heavily upon the data that's developed by the, the groups in the city, and uh, I have not seen any focus, uh, if you will, against any particular group in the county, at least in the last two and a half years of my term. Mm -hmm. The election of uh, Barack Obama as president, um, I think, uh, again, I've read some things uh, on this and have my own opinions, but it could could draw us all closer together as a group or it could splinter a few people off who don't like the idea of an African-American president and create, you know, issues that maybe we haven't seen for a while. Do you have any sense of that, Doug? There was a lot of celebration because I, I was told after the election that IU registered more voters than any school in the country and many of them were Barack Obama supporters. They were a strong group on the campus. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think there was a lot of celebration. But I heard of several really nasty incidents related to African-American students on the campus who were going to a, a rally or something and um, – and white students who made just some atrocious comments about that. So under the surface or out there, um, there, there is still hatred and it, it, it got expressed in, in the light of uh, the celebration that many of us felt uh, over the new president. Mm-hmm. Beverly? Yeah, I don't think I've seen anything that has been directly related to um, President Obama's election. Um, but, you know, I know just as the majority of Monroe County, you know, I think su- supported Obama. Well, I know supported Obama because I saw the numbers. <laughs> um, there were also those numbers on the other side and we know that those people didn't go away after after the election or after the inauguration. And so I would tend to think, you know, that there is some anger. But, but we've not seen in my office or I haven't heard from the Human Rights Commission that there's been any direct correlation. That's a good thing. Yeah. All yes. Right. Yeah. Well, we have about three minutes to go before we have to be off the air. And, and I want to – I'm going to start with Jim. But I want to give each of you a, an opportunity to, to you know, think back over the past 10 years. I mean, what is there one lesson that you think the community has learned or one, one key thing that stands out to you um, in the decade that's followed the shooting of Juan Jun Yoon? Any lessons we learned from that incident? Well, I used the word before. I think acceptance of divergent viewpoints perhaps has gotten better. And there's obviously room for improvement. But uh, 
that that would really be in sum that's that's what I think. Mm-hmm. Okay, Beverly. Yeah, and I would just think that um, wow, ten years is. I mean, and and I have to say that I was shocked to to think back and to think that the, it had been ten years. Um, but just the ability to come together under a common shared goal, a common shared value. Um, if there is a lesson, I don't know that we knew prior to the shooting that this community would be able to do that, that people, you know, no matter race or ethnicity, religion, whatever, would all come together and had that that much of an emotional connection to that value and 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 to express it. And so I think, you know, just the the spirit and the sense of collaboration between people working together and then, you know, that shared value of and, and as the Bloomington United sign said, not in our yards, not in our towns, not anywhere, that there are things that we, we will not tolerate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Doug? I guess one of the things that strikes me is the power of one. Uh, I guess it was a theme for King Day not, not mm-hmm. too many years ago or maybe it was this year. I can't recall. Obviously, the power of, uh, uh, that Benjamin Smith's life made on this community was, was huge in a negative way. But there was also – some very positive things that came out of that. But but to take that to the point of saying, you know, one person really can make a difference in, in positive ways. And I really feel that in this community. I've not been here all my life. And I think, um, you know, some of the work I've done just – I'm amazed at the impact that has on people's lives. And I just think all of us have a, a place to make this community better. And one person can, can really do, make a, a huge difference. If anybody wants to get uh, involved with Bloomington United, how do they do that? Should they call you, Beverly? Just <laughs> well, they can call me um, at the Safe and Civil City office for the city of Bloomington, which is 349-3560, or they can call Hillel Center, which I, I don't have that number with me, but and speak to Rabbi Sue Schifrin. So either one of us could get them connected. Okay. Well, I want to thank all three of you. Uh, Doug, Beverly, Thank Jim, you. for coming in today. It's a it's a difficult topic, but I think it's one that's very important that we talk about. So uh, I appreciate your being here. I wanted to thank our producer today, Ariana Prothero, and engineer John Shelton. Uh, for Mary Catherine Carmichael, I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from Closets 2, providing organized and expanded closet and storage space for home, office, and garage using a variety of systems with no major renovations. Closets 2, owned and operated in Bloomington, 332-2233. Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. Mother Bear's Pizza of Bloomington, open daily and offering pizzas, pasta dinners, and wings with daily specials. Menu available online at motherbearspizza.com, 332-4495 for delivery.